I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Shanti here, and I'm really looking forward to presenting our final episode of 2018. It has been an incredible year with some incredible guests, and uh, I keep thinking to myself, wow, just when I think it can't get any better, it always does. So I want to thank so, uh, so much our listeners. Um, we love you guys. Today... We have an incredible guest. His name is John Scott. And, you know, I don't know, but I think that there were some angels at work here because when I got the email asking if I wanted to interview John Scott, the author of Tom Petty and Me, My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty, I was floored. I thought, does this person know how much of a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan I am? And um, actually, it turns out she didn't. And John's name could have been sent to any of the amazing um, music fans on on our network to have interviewed him. And I just feel so honored and uh, like it was really meant to be that he came to us. And what an incredible time we had interviewing him. We got to ask him questions about what it was like being a promo man, what it was really like behind the scenes, running around, doing everything. And then, of course, we got to ask him about those really special and intimate times getting to know the one and only Tom Petty. 
it's been really difficult since Tom has passed for me and I know for a lot of people. And um, this was a really special way to sort of bring some things together. I know for me, um, I've had a hard time speaking about Tom uh, since his passing. And I had released an episode of just my thoughts and my feelings. And since then, I haven't said a whole lot. So it was really special to be able to share some things that uh, I've learned and that I feel with John. And in him, I know that we have definitely found a kindred. So in this episode, John is going to tell us about some incredible experiences and times he spent with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, being on the road, being a friend, being a part of his family. And then he also tells us some incredible stories that uh, you won't find in the book. So I really hope that you enjoy this last episode of 2018. I really hope that you go to TomPettyandMe.com and check out John, buy his book. I have given a copy to my brother. I have given a copy to my dad. It is just worth sharing. It's worth worth reading it's worth enjoying whether you are a tom petty and heartbreakers fan or not but i mean how can you not be it is just a fantastic read and when i posted on instagram that i couldn't wait to do this interview people had replied some people who knew john replied he is the real deal he is a fantastic man. Just the positive words that were being said about this guy were were outrageous. And uh, you'll be able to tell that from the interview, just what a beautiful heart this man has. So have a wonderful holiday season, everybody. Enjoy this episode, and we'll see you in 2019. Hey, Lynx, have you ever dreamt of marrying a rock star? Uh, of course. Well, for all of you out there who finally got your rocker to put a ring on it, let us tell you about Zola. Zola is the wedding company that will do anything for love, and it's reinventing wedding planning and registry experience to make it the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. From engagement to wedding and decorating your first home, Zola is there combining passionate customer service with modern tools and technology, all in the service of love. And didn't some wise men once say that all you need is love? So true. Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding and registry. Join the 500,000 couples who have taken the stress out of planning by using Zola with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save the dates, as well as invitations and easy to use planning tools. Start with a free wedding website. It's so easy and takes just minutes to set up. Zola makes it easy to personalize your favorite design with all of your wedding details and has over a hundred beautiful website designs to choose from that fit any couple's style and type of wedding. Then build your dream registry, which you can put right onto your wedding website so your guests can get all the details they need as well as buy your wedding gift all in one convenient and beautiful place. The Zola store has the widest selection of gifts with over 500 top brands to choose from, all at different price points. There's something for every guest to give and they will love the free shipping and returns, price matching and more. They also have the best completion discount, 20% off remaining gifts on your registry starting right after your big day. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash muses. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash muses or for you Americans, Z-O-L-A dot com slash muses. That's right. 
to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola. Go to Zola.com slash muses. So, John, this, right. this is such an honor. It's such a pleasure. This is what we live for, is talking to people like you. And this was, I can tell. This was really, really special for me. When the email came through that this book, that the author of this book, we would be able to have a chance to chat with, the, my first thought was, wait, does she know how big of a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan I am? Really? The first thing that anyone learns about Shanti is her deep, <sighs> deep passion for Tom Petty. Tom Petty is just the love of her life, her music idol. So, yeah, this was definitely a special one to get. So you want me to tell you what's, what's happening with me right now? Yeah. I got goosebumps and the hair standing up on my <sighs> body when you said that. Seriously, that's what happens to me when I hear something great or somebody like you says something which you just said. I get goosebumps. Yeah, I and that's when that email came through, that's how I felt. So before Lynx came on as co-host, I only did the podcast for about 10 episodes before she came on as co-host. And my picture, right. the main podcast picture, was I had mm -hmm. recreated the Damn the Torpedoes album cover. And, oh, fantastic. And um, so the email came through, and I just went, wait, does she know? And she actually didn't. And you could have gone to anybody on our network. And those guys on our network are amazing. And they can talk rock and roll, like rock and roll under the table. But it came to us. And then as soon as I started reading and you started talking about serendipitous moments and coincidence, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. then I knew we were on. Yeah. You know, that happens to me all the time in my life. And sometimes I use the word serendipitous a lot, but I really think things happen for a reason. Yeah, Shanti and I and definitely experience that as well. As, and with the podcast, too, everything seems to, you know, come together for a reason. And we're really excited to be talking with you tonight. So thank you. So let's have some questions. Yeah. Alrighty. Not only yeah. are you, you know, you can be hailed as the promo man who saved Tom Petty's career. You had a genuine friendship that lasted a lifetime. So first mm -hmm. of all, we'll just say thank you for writing this incredible book, Tom Petty and Me, My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty. Yeah. So much fun to read. Thank you. Uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to make it fun and I didn't want it to be 300 pages because... Sometimes I read books and they have like chapter one, well, I was born in a small town in a small house in Memphis, Tennessee, and my sister scratched my record, but it goes on for like two chapters and I just get, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just going to cut to the chase and start when I was 31 years old. Yeah. And you really, it feels very personal and when we're reading it you're kind of along for the ride. So it was definitely so much fun to kind of like Shanti and I said to each other, we kind of like read it in Petty's voice and, you know, you can, you can hear when he says things to you, we, we heard it. It was good. <laughs> Thank you so much. That makes me feel so good. 
So, yeah, I mean, you, again. you didn't include, you know, I grew up here and my sister scratched my record. And I mean, we wouldn't have minded because we do enjoy those kinds of books as well. But because we have the yeah. opportunity to chat with you, then we can ask you a little bit about that. So, of course, sure, we're going to talk ahead. a lot about Tom. We added a bit more, you know, questions about him. But your driving passion for music. When did that start? Was it when your sister scratched your record? Like, what, what were you saying about that? Probably, well, uh, probably when I was about 10 years old, because I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. And you may not know this, but Memphis is the home of the blues. Oh, yeah. The birthplace, the birthplace of rock and roll, and it's the cradle of soul. So I was exposed to blues. They're the uh, first African-American station um, in America started in Memphis, and B.B. King was one of the DJs, and I heard the blues And while well, my parents were gone, I, and then I heard Elvis, and then um, Stax Records, and so I, but it started around 10, 10 years old, and my mom would call a radio station every Saturday morning because they took requests, and she would say, request a song for Louise, and her brothers, and she would name her brothers. And then when the DJ would come on and say her name, she had this big smile mm -hmm. on her face. And I would do anything for my mom to make her smile. So I said, I'm going to be a DJ. Aww. And so uh, she she encouraged my father to buy me a tape recorder. And, and I just started practicing. Because I knew I was going to be a DJ around 10 years old because I just loved all the music I was hearing, the different music. And I would lay in bed. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Probably not. But I would take a book and hollow it out and put a little transistor radio in there. And wow. I'd put it under my pillow at night. I'd wow. put it under my pillow at night. And I was there. I was listening the night that I say rock and roll was born when Elvis Presley played, or got, play, was played for the first time. Mm -hmm. So... I was young, and but I knew I was going to be a DJ, and I also, believe it or not, knew I was going to be a promotion man, because wow. when I was about 15 or 16, and maybe you've heard the song, maybe you haven't, it's by the Rolling Stones, it's called West Coast Under Assistant Promo Man, and I knew I was going to be a DJ, and then I said, that job sounds pretty cool, too, so I'm going to be a promotion man, and that, that happened, too. That's crazy. But, no, I totally agree. It's um, it's one of those things that uh, it happened for a reason. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. People say, "Oh, you're just making that up." No, I'm not making that up. It's true, and that's how I got um, a passion for music because I was, I was hearing some of the greatest music of all time on my radio, and that's what got me um, um, into. Uh, well, I became a DJ. And I worked at a progressive rock station in Memphis called FM 100. And we were able to play whatever we wanted to play and say what we wanted to say. Hey, hey, hey. And hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and, and so I loved it. I was like, you know, I was just going crazy. I'm a DJ at a rock and roll station. And um, my father didn't like that because before it went to rock, it, it was a played uh, MOR music, middle of the road music, kind of like Doris Day and, you know, um, stuff like that. And 
how much is that doggy in the window or something? And I, I just said, and dad, it's going to, it's going to work. It's going to, it's going to be great. Anyway. So we signed on the air in 1967 and I worked there until about 1974 and I worked seven to midnight and it was a time of my life. I mean, people would call and I, I could request and they would request a song and I would play it, but I didn't play bad music. I only wanted to play good music because the minute I played something bad, my audience knew it. That's amazing. But anyway, so that's how, that's how I got into, I had a passion for music and uh, I'm not sure if you want to know how I got into the promotion business. We do. Okay. Okay. Well, so when we were able to play anything we wanted to, we were probably one of the first stations in America to play David Bowie. Of course you were. ZZ Top. ZZ Top. As a matter of fact, I have an interview from 1972 with David Bowie, and he came to Memphis on his second uh, American tour, first American tour, they sold out two shows, and he came over to my house that night for a party we were having. And I got a knock on the door, and he was with his wife. I was like, I almost couldn't tell which who was who. They looked so much alike. Yeah, but anyway, Angie. so we played a lot of new artists. So promotion people started hanging around the station, and they'd take us out to dinner. <clears throat> Excuse me. Usually money was no expense, and. So I went, you know, they're making more money than I am, and they have an expense account. And I play records and turn my audience on to, and they play music for radio stations to turn them on to. So I said, well, this is kind of a, the same thing. So MCA Records one night came and hired me to be the local promotion guy in Memphis. And I took the job, and um, I was sad to leave radio, actually, but... I couldn't wait to be a promotion man. And I got the job, and I remember I was taking Olivia Newton-John to Nashville when she first had a song out. And we, MCA gave us a cassette of all the new releases. They were working, and somewhere in the middle of that tape was a song called Depot Street by Mudcrutch. <laughs> and I took it to the FM station there in Nashville, and they said, we like that. That sounds good. We like that. We'll play it. So I called MC right away. And went, oh, I got my first radio ad, Mud Crutch, Depot Street. And he said, John, that's only a single. It's really not a priority for us. Forget about it. And work Olivia Newton-John's new record. So I did. I forgot about Mud Crutch. I had no idea who they were. I just liked the song Depot Street. So, so I've got the job and, and I'm doing pretty good. They moved me to Atlanta within a couple of months as regional promotion head of MCA. And um, about two months later, I was doing really good. And I was having a great time because I got to know Leonard Skinner and they were in Atlanta and we hung around Leonard Skinner a lot. And I got to learn to love those guys. And anyway, I got moved to um, Los Angeles all of a sudden for head of album promotion. And when I got here, I was like, the MCA building was on the back lot of Universal Studios. So I could walk out the door for lunch and see, you know, Rock Hudson or Doris Day or whatever star, you know, was, was filming that day. And we had free run of the MCA, of Universal City. And, um, and I was like a kid in a candy store. I was working with some of my idols. And part of my job was to go with the artist on a tour and um, so one of my 
favorite bands in the world are the Who. And I remember listening to them when I was a kid growing up. And then as a DJ, I, I, got to, I was able to play the Who. And then all of a sudden, I look over, and I'm sitting next to Pete Townsend in a private plane. It's crazy. And I'm like, how, how, how good can it get? And I ask him a question. And I, I, I said, well, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I'm just going to ask him a question. And I did. And I said, uh, Pete, Pete who's, who was your guitar hero when you were growing up? And he said, Steve Cropper. And Steve is from Memphis. So he said, do you have any stories about Memphis? I was going, oh, my gosh. Stacks Records, yeah, I got lots of stories. But anyway, I was having the time of my life, and it couldn't get any better until a kid named Johnny Cougar came came out on MCA Records. Oh, yeah, we definitely have some questions about that. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. You know, and I totally relate to what you're saying about just like looking around and saying like, can it get any better? Or like, wow, like I'm here now because Lynx and I have been having those similar kinds of things, you know, like we're just kind of two humble Canadian girls that just have this passion and this dream. And so we said, let's just do it. And it's wild how it starts to grow and it snowballs. And then all of a sudden you're meeting these people that you've loved for years and you're chatting with people Mm -hmm. that, you know, all of a sudden... You're there right there with them. You're not just that observer from the outside like so many people are. Like you said at the beginning, people just wanted to be a part of it. They either wanted to be a musician or they wanted to work in music or they wanted to be a DJ. And to actually say, hey, I'm here and I did it is wild. And we have a little Memphis story for you. So Lynx and I have not been too much. I, I mean, I've never really been to the United States. And this summer we went on a trip to Tennessee. And we went to uh, Nashville, and we went to Memphis. Yeah, we went to Graceland, we went to Stax, and we went to Sun. Yeah, and uh, the definite highlight of our trip was getting asked to record an episode of our podcast at Sun Studios. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Crazy when those moments happen, and, you know, you just you pinch yourself you just can't believe how life works like that you know it's crazy serendipity you guys keep giving me the goosebumps when you say things like that well yeah we because 
How incredible. Yeah, we definitely related to your book and talking about those moments. And And then we read and you're like, oh, he's from Memphis? Because all of a sudden, since we've come back, it's been Memphis this, Memphis that. Like, it's, it's, and then even the, yeah, it's wild. So, um, speaking of, you know, Johnny Johnny Cougar Cougar. and John Mellencamp here, Mm -hmm. you can take this one. Yeah. Well, I just thought Mm -hmm. it was interesting. You were talking earlier about hollowing out your books and putting your radio in there, like Mm -hmm. listening to the radio. That was your research. That was you learning and, you know, honing your instincts on what was good, what made a good record, what made a good song. And absolutely. You definitely showed that in the Johnny Cougar story where you spotted talent there. If people don't know who Johnny Cougar is, they know, certainly know who John Mellencamp is. You really backed him and you, you knew an amazing artist when you saw one. I uh, did. I, I find it ama- amazing that like, the people around you, you know, didn't really see that or doubted that. And I guess yeah. in a way... Was, you want to know why? Yeah. Well, like I said, everything was great until we have these meetings every week at MCA where all the heads of sales and promotion and marketing get together and discuss records. And at one meeting, the last thing the president did is says, here's a record by a kid named Johnny Cougar. Has anybody heard this record? And I was the only one to raise my hand. I said, yeah, I like, kind of like it. And he played the song that I liked. And after about 30 seconds, he picked it up and said, who would play a record by a kid named Johnny Cougar? That's the stupidest name, name I've huh? ever heard in my life. And he said, who who signed this guy? And the guy held his hand in the back and said, well, I signed him because of a couple of demos I heard, and his manager is Tony DeFreeze. And when I heard Tony DeFreeze, he was David Bowie's manager. Yeah. So I know Tony DeFreeze is a smart guy, and if he likes John Cougar, Johnny Cougar, I don't like Johnny Cougar. I don't care. And so they flew me to Seymour, Indiana, to see him. I was the first person to see Johnny Cougar, and he did a special concert, I guess for me, and um, he knocked me out. I could tell he had it. He was like that Midwestern swagger, like a Bruce Springsteen kind of thing. So I, I just started going crazy trying to get him played on the radio, and I did a lot of some stunts, like I took a Cougar. Uh, I ran into Cougar. You have to call him. You have to call up MCA Central Casting and whatever you want to do, and we ordered a cougar <laughs> and they thought we were crazy too so we went all, went all over la with a with a handler came with the, the i think the cougar was in a tarzan movie or something i don't know and we went to radio stations and we went to tower records and just took pictures and had a blast and those pictures made some of the trade magazines and so i'm going you know this is good but all of a sudden tony defreeze found out that i liked the record and i'd gotten a few stations to play it he called and told the president he wanted a billboard in Sunset Strip for this kid named Johnny Cougar. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that rankled the the brass at MCA because it was like a $25,000 proposition to get a billboard back then. And so they came to me and said, John, we don't like Johnny Cougar. We don't like his music. We don't like his manager. So stop working the record. Wow. And I said... I I can't. This guy's going to be a star. And they said, stop working the record. I said, I can't. I got the biggest radio station in America to add this record today. And again, he said, stop working Johnny Cougar. I said, I can't. And he said, you're fired. That's crazy. And all of a sudden, I was being escorted out of MCA Records 
uh, with a security guard. And I, I was just like stunned. I just, um, I couldn't believe it that I was out, out of a job and I was doing my job good. I thought anyway, so, uh, about a month passed and I got the phone call from, um, a guy named Charlie minor, who's a legend in the music business. And he asked me, well, first of all, he asked me, why'd you do that Johnny Cougar thing? And I said, cause he's going to be a star. And he said, well, whatever. And then he offered me the, the job as head of album promotion at ABC records. And I jumped all over because Charlie minor, the head of promotion there was a, was a hero of mine because he was like the king of promotion. He had so many contacts and he just used them to his advantage. And so I, I said, absolutely. Yes. I wanted to be working with Charlie minor. And I, the reason Charlie and I knew each other is because he was a promotion guy from Atlanta and who visited Memphis all the time. And he always told me, John, you got a good ear for music. So, um, you can spot a hit a mile away. So that's how one of the reasons Charlie hired me uh, to be head of album promotion in Los Angeles for ABC records. Another serendipitous moment. Absolutely. You know, I, I thought it was the worst thing in the world that I got fired. And I love and those stories. Sudden, Things going really wrong you. before they go really, really right. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, as it turns out, if I didn't get fired by MCA, I would have never met Tom Petty. That's so right. the first day I, on the job, Charlie made me hold my hand up and swear I would never do a Johnny Cougar stunt again because that kid's going nowhere. And you can't. You have to raise your right hand and say, I will not do a Johnny Cougar stunt again. I did, but my, when I raised my right hand, my left hand was behind my back. I had my fingers crossed. So, good good you know. thing. Thankfully. <laughs> well, because if I hear something I like, I'm going to go to the wall for it. And uh, But anyway, so I said, I won't do it. And, but three days later is when that album came falling out of my closet, so, closet where I hung my coat. That is wild. And actually, Lynx and I just made a connection at the same time. We both looked at each other. When you were talking about Johnny Cougar, how they had judged him by the name, but you mm-hmm. had judged him by the music and then you swore not to do it again but then like you just said that record dropped you were curious it had no name no nothing and put it on you put it on it but was it was zero and zero on the record about the artist i didn't have any idea who it was but you know maybe good thing because everybody else had judged it i mean knowing you you probably wouldn't even still because you didn't judge johnny for his name you wouldn't have ju- judged tom by the cover but a lot hmm. of people did right yes a lot of radio people especially radio people yeah. um when the album came out punk music was just kind of starting but FM stations weren't playing the Ramones yet, mm-hmm. or I mean, they were, they were playing Blondie, but that, she isn't considered. I guess I'm sure she's New Wave or something. I'm not sure how what she was considered, but FM radio was just not playing, and so the majority of the stations just looked at the cover and just tossed it. It's crazy uh, to the you know. And for people who might not, you know, be as uh, diehard fans as we are, um, what we're talking about is the album cover, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' first album, and it's a picture of only Tom. It's a solo shot, and he's wearing a mm-hmm. leather jacket. He's got a smirk, a, a smirk, smirk. A, a smirk, <laughs> and like a bullet yeah. necklace 
coming down kind of near the leather jacket. So people really thought Mm -hmm. before they judged it as a punk record before listening to it. And then eight months after the record was out, you get something dropped into your office with no name, no cover. It's this album. Total accident. Total accident. Yeah. It fell. We both had like no idea how much an album cover could impact an artist's success so drastically. Do you think it would have sold better if it was a full band shot or like how could one misstep cause so many problems? You know, that's one thing I regret in my life that I never asked Tom, why did he have that picture on the front of that first album? I never asked him and I wish I had of but I never did ask him because I guess I was so infatuated with the music. I didn't care what the cover looked like mm-hmm. because when I when I picked it up and listened to it, I heard Breakdown, I heard American Girl, and I got the goosebumps and put the headphones on, listened again, same thing happened, and I ran to my boss, Charlie Miner. I said, who are these guys? He said, he gave me the, he took the record out and put it on the turntable, <clears throat> and he listened for about 10 seconds and said, oh, that's that band, Tom Petty and the, uh, what's their name, uh, the Heartbreakers, they're they're a punk band. And I looked at him like, what, what do you mean a punk band? He said, well, look at this guy. Like you said, he's got bullets around his neck, black leather jacket on, a smirk. They weren't and, a punk band. And we've had, it's been out for eight months, John. And radio's told us that it's a punk band, which is not really true. Radio didn't even listen to the record for the majority. I mean, there were some places, stations, of course, that were playing it. But I, I, I just... Couldn't believe when I, you know, you hear American Girl, you don't think of a punk song, a breakdown. And so I just, when I got the job, he said, you got two or three weeks where nothing's coming out. So you can just make some phone calls to your radio friends and call some of the ABC local guys in different markets. And so when he said we're dropping the band, I said, would you give me six weeks to try and change that? And he said, John, no. It's a broken record. It's not going to happen. We're dropping the band. And I got down on my knees and I begged him because I knew what I heard was something so special that, I mean, it, it, I was in a trance, I'll be honest with you. I was in a hypnotic trance when I heard that first record. And um, and he said, oh, you're doing the Johnny Cougar thing again. I said, no, Charlie, I'm not. I'm going to do it. He said, well, if you want to do it, go ahead. But you can't buy any advertising. No, you can't spend a dime on this guy. Mm-hmm. And so I thanked him and ran back to my office and started calling some radio stations. And sure enough, they go, never heard it. Or who are they? And and some would say, oh, your ABC local guy came by eight months ago and gave us that. But no, it's a park band. And I was just like, <clears throat> so maybe I get into a bigger hole than I thought. And... Um, I, I called a couple of the guys who were who had stations playing the record, local promotion guys who had in their market. And Boston was one of them. There were two stations playing Tom Petty, and he said the same thing as me: "We're getting reaction to it here." Then I called a guy in San Francisco, and it was, he said, "John, we're getting reaction to this record in San Francisco." And so it kind of gave me a clue that something was wrong. All of a sudden. Well, Charlie would walk by my office on a daily basis and go, John, looked at his watch. Time is ticking by. You got any ads on that petty guy today? And he would walk away. <clears throat> and I would just laugh because I didn't really have any ads yet. But all of a sudden, by chance, a good friend of mine came to work in, in Los Angeles to start a new radio station, a new rock station. And 
he was a good friend of mine and I ran over to his house like the first week he got there and I had the actual album cover and I said, you got to listen to this, Charlie. It's one of the greatest records I've ever heard in my life. And he looked at me like, yeah, sure. And he saw the cover. He said, are they a punk band? I went, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And so he sat down and freaked out just as much as I did. And he said, are they any good lives? I said, Charlie, I just picked up the record by accident. I have no idea. But by chance, they're playing the whiskey the following Saturday night opening for Blondie. Insane. And so we went, the two of us. And after the first song, when they came out, I said, please be good and please don't be looking like you're a punk band. And they came out radiating coolness. I mean, Tom had a a vest on and a cool shirt and a scarf around his neck. And they played a Chuck Berry song called Oh Carol. And the minute we heard that, we went, oh, my God. And then they played Breakdown. Uh, and my my friend leaned over and said, John, I'm going to start playing this record on Monday morning. I'm going to play the hell out of it because it's that good. good. And that was music to my, music to my ears. And, it must um, have been wild for you to have heard that in your office and be like, holy shit, like people might not know about this. I might be one of the only people that does know about this. And you know how it could just explode and then to see them live in that relatively small venue to you know opening Mm -hmm. for somebody it was just it was almost like you felt it was your personal mission to now bring this to the masses and guess what you did you did it (laughs) people listening Um, he did it i i I went on a uh, some people call it a one-man mission and because Charlie wasn't, nobody was really with me except the two guys in the two cities where they were getting played. And um, I kind of felt like the Lone Ranger. Yeah, I don't think people um, realize how drastically important the role of a promotions man or woman was to the success of an artist. Yeah, and you know, 30, sometimes people put on a record for 30 seconds and listen to it and they take it off and go next. And and that's how sometimes artists' careers are like, you know, made or broken on that. 30 seconds and it's just, it's just it was a shame it's crazy so before you proved yourself to tom and and be and then had this lifelong friendship and he knew you had that uh, you had his back he kicked you out of that venue didn't he <laughs> <laughs> he did kick me out and um uh, so it's, what it's a funny story because i was like i knew this guy my friend was gonna start playing it monday morning and so i was going i want to go tell this guy uh, who I am, yeah. and I'm, and I said, uh, "Hi, I'm John Scott. I'm the to Tom. I said I'm the new ABC head of album promotion." And he says, "I don't give a damn who you are. Mm-hmm. We hate ABC Records." Mm-hmm. And the whole band was laughing. And he said, "Look over here, guys. Here's the new ABC promotion <laughs> guy. What do you think about ABC Records? Now they they screamed at Stan Lynch screamed an obscenity." <laughs> of what ABC stood for. I don't, I don't think I should say it, but... Um, <laughs> it's in the book. <laughs> it's in the book. Yeah, it is in the book, isn't it? Uh, I was a little leery putting it in the book, Robin, but that's what he said. And, and it was a different so, time. <laughs> it was a different time. And, and then I said, Tom, have you ever heard your record on the radio in Los Angeles? He went, no, why? And I said, well, you're going to hear it Monday morning, and you're going to hear it a lot. And he went, bullshit. Actually, he said, he dropped the F-bomb on me. Mm-hmm. He said, you're just another nut job from ABC Records. 
And they've done nothing for us in eight months except advertise us in teen magazines and new wave magazines. And at that minute, I got it. I, I, I got why he was angry. I understood it. But he said, get these two nut jobs out of here, me and Charlie. And they were coming over to escort us out. And I just turned around and said, I, I got to tell you, I don't know why I said it, but I, I said it because I knew it. I saw it and I had heard it. And I said, Tom, I'm going to break your career wide open. Another F-bomb <laughs> thrown at me. And as we're walking out, I just turned around again and pointed at him. I said, Tom Petty, my name is John Scott. And every time you hear your record on the radio, you're going to think about me. Aww. And went, yeah, right. <laughs> Get out of here. And we we walked out laughing because we knew what was going to happen. That's amazing. Down deep, we knew exactly what was going to happen. I mean, here's this guy opening for Blondie. And there's about 10 people in there. Nobody knew who he was. He was starting to have some traction in Europe. But when he would get home, he was a nobody. Yeah, because they have better so taste just, over there. <laughs> well, they... <laughs> they, they, um, we really like they British fans over too. there. <laughs> I love British bands. That's, and a, a lot of Southern people, they just love British bands. Canadians and too, I guess. Before I went to, huh? Canadians as well. Yeah, it's a strange thing. And uh, before I went to the whiskey that night, I grabbed a sound, uh, New Melody, ex, uh, New Melody Express or Sounds Magazine from London, and I saw an article about Tom Petty. It wasn't a big article. It was, article about this great band Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and I went wow that's pretty crazy they know him in England but nobody knows him here it's interesting so yeah and so we Charlie and I went out and laughed and but we did go back to his apartment and we did listen to the record again to make sure we weren't crazy and we looked at each other like John this is the the new Beatles <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I feel the same way. Wow. To a certain, not, not, not the new Beatles, but you know what I'm saying? It's like the future of rock and roll. So Absolutely. What I'm trying to say. And you were right. I don't think a lot of yes. people realize like just how drastically important the role of a promotions man or woman was, you know, back then to the success of an artist and to have someone like you like really pushing for them. Like that was so important. You're basically like a 24 seven PR agent for the band. You talk about, you know, calling every radio station you could to like make sure they know who they are and not just phone calls, but you would travel and wine and dine these people in the industry. Mm -hmm. You get the band interviews, you prep them for those interviews and you were touring mm -hmm. with them as well to like, make sure, you know, everything's running smoothly. That's a lot. What was, uh, it, it, it was a lot. What was that like? And like, what was your personal, you know, favorite aspects of the job, you know, discovering the new talent oh. or touring? Like, tell us about that. Um, well, both kind of, but um, like I said, I was traveling with The Who. When I was in, when they moved me to Los Angeles, I was traveling with Elton John on going to concerts and The Who and then Leonard Skinner. And my job was to get radio stations, well, they didn't have to make me play The Who or Elton John or Leonard Skinner, but I would travel with them and I would have a party before the concert and invite all the DJs in town to come and I passed out tickets. So, I would have a bus, make sure they weren't giving the tickets away. And so we got on the bus and we'd take, I would go to the concert venue. And every time from the very beginning, people walked out of, out of that concert and went, my God, a band is mind blowing. 
And but I I loved um, traveling with the bands that I loved. And yes, in new talent, I love new talent because that's what we were doing in Memphis. We were playing. Nobody ever heard of ZZ Top when we started playing them. And so yeah, I loved doing that, trying to hear new records all the time. And um, I think um, yeah, making sure everything was right. Make sure the artists knew that there were, all the DJs were there. And in Tom's case, we would have a party beforehand, and then we'd have one after the show because I had talked Tom and the band to come by, the whole band, the party. And back then, Tom said sure. And we had a big, I had a big suite, and uh, there was you know food and drinks and stuff and um, some party favors. If you know what I mean? Yeah, like but, hats um, and balloons. <laughs> <laughs> it's green. Yeah. It's green. But anyway, so, oh, I remember so much. And, and, and Tom and them were so great. But he was like, why do you have the suite? And we have rooms. We're bunking with each other. <laughs> two, two, like Tom would be bunking with Mike or whatever in a room. And I said, okay, I'll let you have the suite tomorrow night. And we have the party. And of course, he didn't see the people throwing bologna up on the on the roof or something. But I mean, the the ceiling and the place is a mess. And he did have the suite one night. We had the party. He came back to me and said, "Okay, you can have the suite. I don't mind. I don't mind." But no, I I loved that traveling with bands is the greatest thing in the world. Well, you said that they made you feel like a part of the band, like family. And to be in that circle of these, you know, these musical geniuses, these very special, magical people, it kind of is like, well, that means that you're kind of special, too. And you're magical, too. And you can keep company with these geniuses, these these legends. I mean, I love The Who, but and I travel with them, but I never travel with a band like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Because every night I was watching history being made, every concert. And um, it was one of those things that just, I, I mean, I saw them six encores. The second night I saw them uh, from Santa Cruz, they did six encores. Wow. And the, the crowd in a gymnasium, and the crowd didn't want them. They, they kept applauding for the seventh encore. And finally they stopped. And I went backstage. And Tom said, we played every song we knew. <laughs> and so... Um, it was that kind of experience that, I mean, yeah, the Who were great, Elton John's great, but something was special about this guy and the band. I mean, is, is there a better guitar player in America than Mike Hamill? No. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I love that you're talking about the baloney on the ceiling, the sweets, the, you know, the, the traveling, because people who love music, love music people who love tom petty and the heartbreakers love tom petty and the heartbreakers we're talking die hard and so when they get to hear new stories or a different perspective of something happens you're really giving people a gift because we know that people are really interested in rock and roll history and this kind of you know and and you get to give that to people and that's really special that you have these stories to share it was really I, that- know, I, wanted, I, I wanted to write stories that nobody has ever heard of, kind of a behind the scenes of what Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were like, and pictures they'd never seen before. Exactly. And it wasn't 400 pages. I wanted it to be a good read and not long, 
but just tell my stories. And when I started, I'd been writing a book uh, before this and about my my um, travels with the Who and Leonard Skinner because Which I have some great be stories. Great. We can't wait for those. Well, <laughs> but I, I know why you did what you did. Yes, go on. Yeah, and so, but when, when Tom died, I couldn't write anymore about Johnny Cougar or The Who or John Mellencamp or Leonard Skinner. I just, I was in shock like everybody else. And the Tom Petty fans are like fans I've never seen before in my life. Agreed. And Facebook, Tom Petty Nation. It's like they're, they're, people are still not over the loss of Tom. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. They never will be. And it's like Elvis. Yeah. No, no, they never will be. There'll, there'll be no, never be another Tom Petty. That's right. I would almost say I guarantee that. But some people think this is kind of oh, new agey or something or not true. But Tom comes into my dreams every now and then. Like, uh, uh, And I said that to some people and they went, me too. John, anyway, I was came- going to ask you about that, and I left yeah. it out because I didn't want to seem like I thought you all would think I was too woo-woo, but I fucking knew it. I knew it. Please go on. So, um, I don't know how long after this he died, but he came to me in a dream, and we were talking, and he said, call your book Tom Petty and me. Because back in May of 2017, I told him I was going to write a book, but it wasn't just about him, but he said, well, just tell the truth, John. And so he said, call it Tom Petty and me. And I woke up and I ran to my computer and went to GoDaddy where I got, uh, you get domains. And I typed in TomPettyandMe.com and it was available. And so I clicked, ding, I want it. And when I I think I put that on Facebook one time that he came to me in a dream and, you know, some people don't believe that. But then all of a sudden the fans started going, he comes into my dreams too, in and out. And... It's just amazing that people experience that because, you know, some people like, you know, poo-bah that thing. But anyway, that's what happened. No, you know, like, so, Lynx and I believed that Elvis gave us a gift when we were in Memphis of recording at Sun. I believe that sure. Tom continues to give gifts, and I believe that this interview is one of them. And I've thought this, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to mention this. I'm going to sound insane. But I think we're all on the same page here. So, um, yeah, it, and, it, you know, it just kind of brought to mind the song Angel Dream that he has. It's not a song that I, a lot of people, Ooh. like, talk about, but it is one of mm-hmm. my favorite ones, and it just makes me believe that, like, he knows these things, too, you know? I dreamed you. Exactly. So far away. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I can't sing. I'm a terrible singer because mm-hmm. I, I have my own key when I sing. It's called <laughs> off key. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's what happened. And, and the next day, I just got up and started writing. And started remembering stories. I never kept a diary, but the stories of Tom always stuck with me. And just like because he was my favorite, Tom Petty and Heartbreakers were my favorite band of all time. Same. I mean, yeah, Bruce is great, Stones are great, but there's no Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. No, nope. never will be. Um, so I just started writing, and and I didn't want to seem like a guy who was just you know I'd write a quick book and then cash cash in the money on Tom's passing away and. I never wanted to, to do that, so I waited till after the first of the year and kept writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually wanted the book to come out on April 20th, 420, 
because <laughs> I knew Tom would appreciate that particular I, day. Yeah, I had a question that I ended up taking out, and it was approximately how many joints do you think you smoked with Tom? But I ended, I ended up taking it out. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you know, he wrote a song about it. Let's get to the point. Let's roll another joint. And that's all we did was smoke. I shouldn't say that's all we did. Well, we smoked pot, and we used to listen to new records at his house. Or he would play some old records that he loved. And I never saw him really drink. I never saw him do cocaine. And uh, he may have, but I, I never I never saw it. And I was around him a lot. So um, I'd let you say hundreds yeah. of joints. <laughs> because that was the thing to do. And, you know, before I went over to see him, or, and before I went over to see Johnny Cougar, I smoked a joint. And, but it didn't mean necessarily that if you do that, the music's going to be good. Yeah. Because if the music's bad, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're high or not high. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, that's basically what we did. We would hang around his house and just listen to music. And, yeah, I think I, there's a story in the book where I'd be taking him to a radio station to do an interview. And... Um, it's kind of a funny story, but there anyway, are hilar- yeah. There are hilarious stories in that book. So that's why I really want people like to go and read it. I'm going to, you know, get a copy for everybody that I love. Like my whole family is Tom Petty obsessed. My brothers, my dad, absolutely obsessed. And there it's, are so many funny little yeah, tidbit stories. It's special because you learn like the business side of your relationship, but there's also such a strong friendship there. And your stories of your friendship are so incredible if you could go back and like relive one special moment or experience or conversation that you had with him, is there a specific memory or moment that you would love to relive? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, after um, the, the radio station started playing Tom's song, Breakdown a Lot, um, his manager called me on Wednesday, and I love his manager, Tony Dimitriotis, and he, but he called and he was angry because he said, you pissed off my artist. You told him you're going to break his career and you know you can't. ABC is a terrible record label. And I said, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> and he hung up the phone and wanted to have a meeting with me. And um, on Friday, my, assist- my assistant came in and said, Tom Petty's on the phone. I'm like, oh, my God, this is- could go either way here. I don't know what it's going to be. And he got on the phone and said, John you come over to my house tonight? You're serious, aren't you? I said, Tom, I'm going to break your career. And then he said, would you come over to my house tonight? I said, what's the address? I wrote it down. And of course, at that point, I'm listening to nothing but the first record. In my car, at home, at work, nothing else mattered. And when I got to his house, it was a whole completely different thing. And we went outside. We spoke to joint outside and just wanted to get to know each other. And... I didn't tell him about, I told him about you know, my life in Memphis and I was DJ and about the bands I worked with at MCA, but I, I did not tell him about Johnny Cook because I knew that he would go, oh yeah, here he is. He, this guy really is a nut job. <laughs> but I told him my stories and then I asked him, have you been in any other bands that before Tom Petty and Heartbreakers? And he said, yeah, you never heard of them. They call them Mud Crutch. <laughs> and I went, you mean the song Depot Street? And he went, how the hell do you know Depot Street? And I told him the story about one of the first records I listened to was Depot Street. And we started, we kind of just stared at each other for like 30 seconds. Like, is this really supposed to be happening? And to me, 
I was sitting there looking at the lead singer of Mud Crutch, and I was also looking at Tom Petty, who at the time was, I couldn't get him out of my mind. And I said to myself, I can't believe this is happening. And he couldn't either. He really had no idea. He, but he knew something was going on when, he, when I said Mud Crutch on Depot Street. And then he asked me to come inside and play. He said, we're working on this new record. I mean, I knew some new tracks. You want to hear one? I went, yeah, sure. And he played Listen to Her Heart. Mm. And from the opening riff of that song with Mike Campbell's guitar, oh, yeah. you you were blown away. And I made him play it like five times. But anyway, kind of after that, we became best friends. And I would go with him on interviews and try to try to teach him how to really he hadn't done any in, interviews. And um, I kind of used my DJ experience to... to uh, you know, tell him not tell him what to say, but just how to act. And there's one story in the book about one day he was cranky, but I won't tell that story. I'll let you read that story. But I loved it. I laughed so kind of, much. Kind of a funny story. Was... Yeah, but I think that one moment when I looked at him and he looked at me, and we didn't say anything. That's one moment I can look back on and go, "Man, that was a trip." Sure was. But neither one of us knew. What was going to happen next? I, I knew, well, I kind of knew. I felt I knew, but at that moment, that was the highlight of my life. Yeah, that's pretty incredible and, that you got to be with a guy who's so most reclusive, mysterious, private, mm-hmm. and you were invited into not just one home but several homes as they changed over the mm-hmm. years. You got to know yeah. the family and that is a that's a it's an honor, you know, that you got to do that. So it must have been a real trip to be inside of his home. Oh those walls that I mean what an ultimate pass you had oh because in the very beginning i was taking pizzas over to their apartment somewhere in <laughs> hollywood and you know they were broke and i'd bring pizzas over and got to know the band and um yeah so he he, he started making it and he bought that house in encino california and every christmas easter thanksgiving um christmas we we, we would he would have a party of just his friends there was no it wasn't a hundred people there, maybe 40 of, you know, some road crew and me and, um, my family. And we all became good friends. And the parties at the Petties were amazing because like at Christmas, for example, <clears throat> I mean, the weather's nice out here in Southern California, Christmas usually, and we'd always play softball, uh, in his yard. And he was always the pitcher. And he pitched for both teams, I guess, because he didn't want to run around. But uh, we played, and the score didn't matter. And then we'd go inside and have dinner and then open Christmas presents. And he and his wife at the time picked out every gift individually for every person there. No gift was the same thing. And that's what blew my mind about those guys, because they had that much, um, not respect for people, but genuine love for people that were around them and he gave me in 1940s you know he knew i loved radios old radios and he gave me this beautiful 1940 retro radio and it's like i still got it and but they, it always blew my mind that they just picked every gift 
for the person. And usually it was like the perfect, the perfect gift. Well, <clears throat> so those, those are times gift. of my life. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I just said, like, you know, Tom Petty and his music and who he is. He's just the perfect gift. Um, he's a funny guy, too. Oh, he's I know. And it really, it really comes across as that in, in the book and the stories that you're sharing. And those Christmas messages that you wrote about and that you can go to TomPettyAndMe.com and listen to. Like, that was something I never heard before that I needed that I sent to, you know, like my dad for a laugh. Yeah, just fantastic. Oh, yeah. These guys are pretty approachable, too. That's the other thing. Which is um, wild, because to many people, they're actually the... It's like a no-access zone, you know? They're the untouchables, right. almost, in a way, it seems. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, when Tom got bigger, um, he stopped hanging around at the parties because he was swamped with people wanting his autograph. And so when he'd go off the stage... He was the first one into a limo. The band would stay for the party, but he was in a limo, and he was probably home in Malibu by the time people were filing out of the Hollywood Bowl, wherever he was playing. But um, he, he was just a shy guy. In reality, he was a pretty shy guy, but he would not back down to anybody. And that's another thing I loved about him. I love that, man. He was a gentle giant, but don't cross him. And um, the band, my God, you, you fall in love with Stan Lynch. You fall in love with Ben Montana. Just You fall in love with Ron Blair because they're just super, super, super nice guys. And that's another reason I just love this band. Well, There's yeah. no attitudes, no, you know. Yeah, they're all I real people. Of, they're good people. Yeah, they're real people. Yeah. Yeah. And I listen to Ben Montana on Sirius and Tom Petty Radio and – Boy, his shows are so good. Yeah. He's such a calm guy, cool. It's funny, we were going to ask um, you about, you know, DJ. Like, we have so many questions that we didn't get to that hopefully, you know, we can have another conversation, another conversation just about the music business in general. Sure. You know, because we want to know if you were a 20-year-old guy in 2018, would you have gotten into music or, or, you know, like that kind of stuff. But um, Sure. And, and, you know, just like DJ culture, but it's interesting that it's very much like if you want to play what you want to play and it, it's serious satellite radio that you go to, um, that those that there's still like choice there and quality DJs. So would you say that because we were going to ask, like, who are your kind of go to DJs now in this day? It's like, what's your radio station in 2018? Well, um, I didn't tell you this earlier, but um, I have an Internet radio station. Amazing. And it's called all Memphis all Memphis Music dot com, and that's what we play: Elvis and Aretha and Otis Redding. And you you'll love our station. When you, Amazing uh, when you turn it on. <clears throat> but um, who am I go to DJs? Well, I love Jim Ladd. Mm-hmm. Jim Ladd and I had a bunch of great times together on the road. But take him, I would take him to. Um, he was always loving to go with me to concerts because I would have stage access. And we watched, like for example, we we watched the Leonard Skinner open for the Who at the Oakland Coliseum, like eighty thousand people, and we were on stage. And then the Who would come on, and we were on stage. Um, and that's just the experience that once you have, it's like the most incredible thing to just look out over the eighty thousand people from the stage. I think he was sitting on John Entwistle's, um, not his his base, his amp base or whatever it was. Uh. Yeah, not not his amp, but his. You know, they'd have those big kind the of gear. things. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, 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 the gear. And I love Jim Ladd. 
But I'll be quite honest with you, it's hard to turn it off Tom Petty Radio mm-hmm. because because they still play Tom's voice. Uh. And in the beginning, that was kind of tough for me. But I pulled out some old cassettes of interviews that I've done with him. Mm-hmm. And I uh, hear his voice, and it just makes me smile now. Yeah. Because I know when he says crazy things about, you know, he's on Buried Treasure, and he says kind of crazy things and funny things sometimes, it makes me smile because that was him. Mm. That was him. And I love the fact that they still play his voice. Yeah. And um, But go-to DJs, you know, um, that's really about it. I mean, uh, <laughs> I listen to hockey games more than I do <laughs> radio these days, but I'm a fantasy ho- I play fantasy hockey, and so... Anyway, but no, I try to find new bands, and they, I love finding new bands. Yeah. Uh, somebody will tell me about a band, or, or I'll see something, an, an article, and that's one of my things. I love, I just love to find new music, and, and it's tougher to find these days. You probably know it's tougher to find new bands. Yeah, yeah, it is. You really do have I mean, to search. And I've got some favorite bands, and I, I keep thinking, why, why aren't they stars? Mm-hmm. Because the music business is completely different. Mm-hmm. these days and just, youtube is probably where you go to find music yeah that's wild like well, i'm an elementary school teacher and when you ask six-year-old kids what they want to be when they grow up uh half of them say youtuber like we're in the generation where youtuber <laughs> is now an option a and a popular option of what children want to be when they grow up that's crazy it's not that's rock crazy. star anymore john it's youtuber <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not a promotion right. man not an artist a youtuber yeah that's funny i like that but um yeah i still like to find new bands and there's a little club here in los angeles called hotel cafe and a lot of new bands play there and i like to go there and um sometimes i'll find bands i just love new mm-hmm. bands and i'll start following him and and um but this this little club is special because yeah. only new artists play there. It's a very small place, but not, you know a lot of great new bands play there. And anyway, so I go there a lot. Well, but, before uh, our time runs out here, there was one moment in your book that I definitely wanted to talk about. It was such a special moment. You were at the Hollywood Bowl for uh, Tom's final concert, and you talk mm-hmm. about being there with your daughter and that Petty did something that he very rarely does. He actually dedicated a song to you. Oof. Chill bumps. Uh, yeah, so, I just... Yeah. What, what, that moment must have been well, so special. Well, you know, I went to the memorial and for Tom, and towards the end of the evening, his wife Dana, who I love, um, she was standing there by herself, but she had been, people were crowding around her, of course, but she was standing by herself and she motioned me to come over there. And, um, she said, do you know why Tom did that shout out to you? I said, well, you know, I wasn't backstage. I had no idea who was going to do it. Tell me. She said, well, we got into our limo about six o'clock to go to the Hollywood Bowl. And of course the limo driver knows to have it on Tom Petty radio. And he, she said that we were talking, and then he said, wait a minute, did he just say John Scott's going to be interviewed? And she said, yeah, that's what they just said. He said, well, I want to hear this whole interview. And she said, after the interview was over, he turned and looked at me and said, every fucking thing he says is the total truth. And 
I had, I was sitting in the audience. I had no clue he was going to do this. The band didn't even know he was going to do it. I asked Mike Campbell after, did you know he was going to do that? And she, he said, no, he never even told us. Wow. But I'm sitting there, and he, I think he played four songs. He hadn't really said a word except thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And, and he stopped the show and dedicated that song to me. And now I look upon that as a gift that he left me. Absolutely. Yes. Because a week later, he was gone. And still it still shakes me to the core yeah. and um i think you know what i mean yeah absolutely, um, absolutely. i um, i almost want to cry right now to be honest with you but yeah this i'm uh, really happy to be sharing this with you john because i've only spoken about tom and this is just from a fan's perspective not a friend once since um, he passed and I was by myself and I recorded something and I put it up and I cried when I when I said it and I haven't listened to it since but it's actually the most listened and downloaded episode and um, I just remember being like just thinking about all of the lessons that I've gotten from him and his music and I haven't really spoken about you know Tom or my experiences going to the concerts or just like how I feel about him and, and what his music has meant to me like until now and to be talking about it with you and with Links here beside me is such a wonderful kind of full circle moment in my life for me it feels magical. Well, you know, I feel great right now just talking to you because I can tell that you guys are sincere about music and love music, and but you love Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, actually, and he gave me a gift as well because his last show that he played in Toronto, I stood on the side of the stage on Ben Mont's side watching him mm -hmm. play the piano and the mm -hmm. way that I was able to do that was because years ago the first class that I ever taught my first my first year of full-time teaching I had a little girl in my class and uh, we got along great and her dad is a roadie and it just so happened that her dad years later messaged me and said hey I know somebody on the crew, and wow. you might know him, Stanley Green. Um, he did. Um, he did lights. Stanley, to be honest with you. Well, but, he might have been newer, yeah. Jim, but he Jim, did lights. I think Jim, Jim did, Linehan did lights before him. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the last man to do lights for Tom, and actually, sadly, he's he's passed since as well. And oh. he invited me up, and I got to see from the perspective of doing the lights. And then he gave me and a friend a pass, and he said, have fun. And we were beside wow. that stage, and we were back there, and there was nobody else there except for us and the crew. And I looked at the stage, and I looked out into the audience, and I just said, thank you. I don't know why I got chosen to do this, and I'm sure you might think that sometimes too, but thank you. I do. I do feel that same exact way that I was chosen. This was meant to happen for me to be in his life and kind of the same way you do. And a lot of times I'll, I'll be at dinner with my wife and my daughter and a, one of his songs will come on. Mm -hmm. And I just look up and smile. And when I was doing the pictures for the, for the book, I, I went to one camera store, one, I mean, one photography store. And I would walk in, she'd start working on my files, and a Tom Petty song would come on. And she looked at me, she said, John, this only happens when you come in. Uh -huh. And I said, 
you know, that happens a lot to me. And the owner came over and said, she's not, she's not lying. She's telling the truth. I mean, the little things like I went to my doctor last week and as I was leaving, she said, Oh, John, she had, had, had given her a book and she said, Oh, John, will you bring another book? I got a friend who I want to give as stocking stuffer. And I said, sure. And you know, I'll sign it. And if you want me to personalize it, I'll do something like, you know, Hey Bill. She said, how do you know his name is Bill? That's wild. I said, I, said I, I don't know his name is Bill. She said, John, the guy I'm giving this gift is named Bill. Why did you say Bill? I said, I don't know. Well, but it's your magic, I'm and you've had premonitions too. And it's just full of these serendipitous moments, and this is definitely another one. And it's so nice to focus on these things, on this magic, on this beauty, on this love, on these things. And we thank you sincerely from the oh bottom gosh, of our you. hearts, John. And let's continue this conversation when Lynx and I come to LA this summer in person. Sure, I got some more stories. I'll tell you. Sure, amazing. Thank you so much. For writing this book. Thank you so much. You know, this podcast you're doing is something special. Uh, Thank having you. me on there makes me really feel special. And I can tell by you guys talking that you feel the same way I do. And you're like one of those Tom Petty fans in Tom Petty Nation. You're diehard. You're music fans. Oh, you yeah. love music. Oh, yeah. And I can tell that I can easily tell that. And I love that. Yeah. So it's an honor for me to be on your show. Thank you. It's funny. Neither of us work in the music business. We are just two girls with a dream and an idea and a passion. And now, well, I guess we are yeah, in the biz. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, who knew yeah. that this was going to happen? So. You just got to have that passion. Yeah. And we just can't wait to come and meet all of these amazing people who we've talked to, you know, over over the Internet and whose books we've read. And just to kind of keep the stories going and to talk about what music was like, where it is now, and just to learn. Like, I didn't know about what a promo man or woman does. And so it's nice to honor people in the music business who aren't just the artists because it's a whole team. It's a whole family that makes it go around. So it's nice to hear yeah. your story. Well, I've had people say to me, what would happen if you hadn't picked up that album? Yeah. And I say, I don't know. Oh, well, he could have been signed by another label, probably, maybe. Or he could have broken the band up or he could have moved back to Gainesville or... Yeah. There's just nobody knows. No one knows. No one knows. And it's it's strange that uh, people tell me that and um, think that, wow. Yeah. It was definitely meant to be. It was meant to be. Yes, it was. Thank you so much for saying that. Yes. And um, you, you guys are meant to be in my life. I can tell right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, we feel that and we felt that way when, you know, we went to Memphis, too. So it's just wild that here it is coming back again. So thank you, Elvis. Thank yep. you, Tom. Thank you, John Scott, mm -hmm. author of Tom Petty and Me, My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. This was seriously the what a way to like finish our year. Yeah, this what a beautiful a way to finish our year. I needed this today. Yeah, I needed this this week, this month. Good. Thank you so you much. You know, I did too. I needed it too, to be honest with you. Oh, well, you know, for... we don't call ourselves the muses for nothing. You know, it's a divine <laughs> shot of inspiration. A little bit of just keep on going. And it's passion. It's yeah. right. Thank you so much. Have a great evening, John. Thanks, John. You too. Thank B you so much. 
All right, rock and rollies, that's it for today, and that's it for 2018. I hope that you liked our little conversation with John. I know that I sure enjoyed it, and I was just flying from it afterwards. I cannot wait to get my Canadian butt out to LA and go have another conversation with John in person and to chat with all of the amazing and incredible people that we have talked to um, so far through the process of this podcast. I really want to sincerely thank everybody listening, everybody contributing, everybody sending and sharing kind messages on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that beautiful stuff. And I hope that um, 2009 brings you health and happiness and a lot more rock and roll. If you want more music podcasts, you can head over to rockandrollarchaeology.com. You can find all of the other shows like The Art of Rock with Kosh and The Rock and Roll Librarian and Real Rock um, on iTunes as well. And you can support our network by donating if you like uh, to our Patreon. And that's it for now, my friends. Take good care. Lots of love from Shanti and Lynx. And um, that's it. Goodbye. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.